Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ohio University Press podcast. Today, we sit down with Dr. Wendy Welch to talk about her new book, Fall or Fly, The Strangely Helpful Story of Foster Care and Adoption in Appalachia. Dr. Welch, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, So first, could you tell us a little bit about yourself um, as a writer and as an academic? Mm -hmm. I wrote my first big book, as one would say, in 2012. It was called The Little Bookstore of Big Stone Gap, and it was a memoir about my husband and I setting up a bookstore in a small town in the middle of the recession when e-books were just coming into view on the horizon. So that kind of set us as beautiful losers, and I had a really good time writing that one. And then from there, went on to write, uh, to edit an academic textbook on public health in Appalachia. And Fall or Fly is the third book about Appalachia. Um, Before that, I was a columnist, and there is a small collection of my columns running around published in Scotland. So you're not a foster parent or a foster child. Mm -mm. How did you become involved with telling stories about the foster care system and writing Fall or Fly? Well, after the first book came out, Little Bookstore, uh, there were a lot of people in the community who liked to write, who who talked about writing, and we had a writing group going and things like that. But I was also always involved in the storytelling scene. Long before I turned to writing uh, in and of itself, I was working on stories for public telling. And that's a skill that works really well in public health. So I had done a cancer circle of storytelling for our local cancer center here, working with a lovely, lovely woman named Leanne Belinsky, who cancer took from us, ironically enough, a few years ago. But Leanne and I took people who told their cancer stories around to churches and let them talk sort of casually, telling their stories to people in the congregation. And one of the churches that hosted us The pastor also has a day job as the director of a therapeutic foster agency. So he called me up and he said, could you do that for foster parents, what you were doing with the cancer screening stories? Because the the uptake, the point of the cancer stories was to get people to screen earlier and more often for cancer and to take more advantage of free care and to pay more attention to their own and their loved one's health. So that kind of raised awareness. And he said, can you do that for foster parents? And I was thinking, no, because the privacy regulations would be different. People who are foster parents, when they stand up in public, are fairly often the targets of criticism in the way that a cancer patient is not. So we suggested, let's do a blog instead. We will write the stories of the foster parents who want to tell their stories up for them, work with them on the editing, and let them publish them on this blog. They'll be anonymous, but their stories will be out there in the community. We did all that. We were having a grand time. I really enjoyed working on that project with the foster parents. They were awesome people to work with. And then at the end of it, we decided we would launch it at the Appalachian Studies Association event, which was in Johnson City that year. Well, when you put something into Appalachian Studies, they come out with a big conference plan that tells what all of the events are going to be. And here was our little blog launch down in the middle of that. And I got an email from Ohio University Press, uh, Jillian Berkovitz, saying, do you have a book associated with this project of gathering foster care stories? No. She said, well, would you like there to be one? So that's what happened. I went back to the pastor and said, dude, we just got a book deal. Well, that's great. Um, So then whose voices are represented in Fall or Fly? And 
How have your skills in public health and as a columnist transferred to uh, researching and investigating for this project? I trained as a reporter. So before I was a storyteller, when I was a columnist, I was actually working on feature and news writing. And that's very fast writing. So when people tell you their story, you learn to translate it very quickly into the parts that the public already understand and parts that the public are going to need background to understand. So I absolutely loved working with those foster parents. And when we knew there was going to be a book about this, we wanted to get as many foster parents' voices involved as we could. Well, what happened It was really interesting because the ratio of foster parents to social workers to foster kids in the book, social workers are by far and away the largest group. There are about 65 voices represented in the book, more than 30 of which are social workers. Then there's about 10 to 12 foster parents and about 15, maybe 20 foster kids. Well, not not that many, actually. There's about a dozen foster kids. It might be equal. And the foster parents suffer from this syndrome that happens all across society. If you're a foster parent, you can't be a normal, real person. You're either a saint or a sinner. But either way, if you stick your head up and say, hey, I'm a foster parent, you're either accused of being self-aggrandizing and wanting a lot of attention, or people think you're really weird because who raises other people's children when they're not related to them? It's a very precarious line for them to walk. So them telling me their stories and letting me translate them while hiding their identity was a responsibility I took really seriously. And I also loved working with them because they had so much to say and so little chance to say it. The social workers as well, they blew like volcanoes. Once they had a chance to tell the stories they had inside them, they were so excited to do it. And it tied into public health in large measure because I think people don't understand how much the opioid crisis is driving foster care right now. When I went to the Virginia Festival of the Book and did a book panel, a lady came up to me afterwards in perfectly good faith and honesty. I'm not making fun of what she said. And she said, but the government takes care of the children if their parents can't take care of them. Like, oh, we're in a lot of trouble because the foster parent system is so overloaded, the foster care system is, and opioids are driving this bus. So it's a public health crisis that's overflowing into an educational and family crisis. Well, that leads right into my next question. Um, So the subtitle of Fall or Fly is, of course, the strangely hopeful story of foster care and adoption in Appalachia specifically. Um, So then what makes the needs of children in foster care in this region um, different or more pressing from other areas across the country. And you mentioned opioids. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to that. Right. Opioids are driving the foster care crisis across the country. There are a little bit of, you will find a few cultural differences between how it's done. In an inner city ring around Chicago or New York or Detroit, you would find slightly different tensions than you would in the coal fields in rural Appalachia. Um, There's a line in Fall or Fly that a lot of people have emailed me and said, oh, yeah, they, uh, we know this one. It says, in this, in this region, Cole may be king, but family is the empress and the king bows to her every day. If you mess up your family in rural Appalachia, you have done the worst thing that can be done. It's not a joke. There are a lot of jokes about it. There are a lot of jokes about what family means and extended families living together. But in Appalachia... We value family 
not just for lip service, but for reality. So if you become incapable of raising your own children because you are incapacitated by substances, you are below pond scum. You you don't exist as a human anymore in Appalachian mindset. And that's not, it's, it's neither good nor bad. It is what it is for a cultural value. So when you have rural areas that have strong religious communities and a lot of economic undercurrent of difficulty because we're losing our coal mines, we're, we've never had a big infrastructure in other industries besides extraction. So when the lumber and the coal go away, you're already in trouble. What you find is this very strange dynamic where suddenly the government will pay you to look after the children of someone who failed their family. So you who have been, for lack of a better word, screwed over by the government by losing your coal mining job when you were promised you could keep it, by being um, made redundant, that's a Britishism, by, by losing your job, being laid off when you were told that the economy was going to get better by the government or the uh, party you voted for, suddenly the government will pay you to do something someone else should have been able to do. It's like a win-win morally for people who have a, a mindset of saving the world, of uh, being saviors to other people. And it's, it fairly often in, an, in a rural area comes with a Christian mindset. In urban areas, you find more eclectic reasons that people feel like they're going to save humanity. But in a rural area, there's a very strong Christian mindset attached to it. And it's like the perfect storm. It's not necessarily helpful, although I have met so many social workers and so many foster parents who were beautiful, brilliant people that I'm not going to say it doesn't work. What I'm going to say is it works differently here than it works in the inner city. I hope that was clear. So based on the interviews that you conducted, what are your impressions about the foster care system in this region overall? Um, so, so what ways does it succeed in providing care for children who need it? And it, in what ways does it fall short? They run amazing classes. They catch very early the bad apples. They are weeded out for the most part before they ever get into the system. Now, there's always a crack here or there. But for the most part, the social workers in this region are so smart and so queued up. They've seen everything twice. Um, The problem with that, the other side of that double-edged sword, is that they're really cynical and they're really tired. They've got to protect the kids from the worst situations, but they don't have enough foster parents. And this is where we get into the part where the system is failing, but it's not failing because of people. And that's why I say it's strangely hopeful. The people are still guarding the gates, but the gates are crumbling just by the sheer weight of the force that's up against them. There are so many kids who need foster homes and so few foster homes available that in order to simply keep up with the need, Social workers are putting children into homes that don't emotionally invest into them. I had a social worker pretty much say to me point blank, if the child's bed belongs to that child alone, if the child eats three meals a day, if the child is warm in the winter and has a safe place to go at night, we consider that a good foster home. We're not, we're, we are looking for, but we are accepting less places than the homes where People will say, hey, how was your day? Do you want to join a ball team? Would you like to watch a movie together? Emotional investment in the children is less important at this point than actually finding a place where the children can be. Everyone is so tired and so busy that the gold standard 
is a lot lower than it used to be. So tell us a little bit about the title, Fall or Fly. In what ways does this phrase embody uh, the foster care experience, maybe both from the perspective of foster parents and the children that they care for? It was a letter that one of the young women I interviewed who was a, a foster child, she was adopted just before she graduated from high school, which is unusual. And she had a, a lot to say about the system. It was a letter that her adoptive parents gave her. She had bounced through the system since she was three until she was about 15 when they finally said, this is the last home you're going to have before you graduate high school. We're going to adopt you. And because of that, she was often, in the way that we were talking about earlier about foster parents, she was often held up as, oh, poor you. You can't possibly be normal. You must be so damaged. Tell us your story. And she just wanted to be a normal teenage girl. When she graduated from high school, her adoptive parents gave her a letter that said, uh, not everyone knows what happened to you when you were a child. And we understand why you don't want to tell people that. But we know what happened. And we know that in your situation, children either fall or fly. And you're our little bird who flew the nest and you're flying high and we're very proud of you. So in the book, you mentioned that um, depictions of foster care and adoption stories tend to cluster at the dark or light ends of the spectrum, um, which is an expectation that fall or fly actively works to subvert. Um, so what does fall or fly tell us about the foster care system that other books on the subject haven't? I think, first of all, it tells us how much burden there is on social workers People expect social workers to make life convenient for the rest of us. They don't care. They feel qualified to judge social workers for doing jobs that they themselves would not do. And the same for, for foster parents. I think if there's a prevailing quote in my mind from the book, it's Brene Brown. I, I think she wrote the quote that should be on the t-shirt given to every foster parent. She says, and I'm sorry, there's an there's a <clears throat> inappropriate word in this quote. She says, if you're not standing next to me in the arena also getting your ass kicked, I am not interested in your feedback. And I think that's the position Fall or Fly took was t social workers and parents and kids who grew up in the system, tell us what it's really like. Don't tell us the inspirational stories and don't tell us the terrifying stories that you don't want to tell us. Just tell us what it was like day to day. And I think that's the, the middle ground that Fall or Fly falls, fills in. It's not inspirational and it's not voyeuristic. It's just here's what happened, and here's who it happened to. Well, wonderful. I have just one more question for you, um, and that is, what are you hoping readers of Fall or Fly come away from the story understanding better about foster care, um, and maybe particularly foster care in the Appalachian region? What it entails day to day, and how many of them would be better at it than they think they would. There are it's not for everyone. There are people who would be good at it, people who wouldn't be good at it. But like any skill, the most important way to learn it is to show up and commit. I think if if one in 50 people who read this book said, I'm going to go to those exploration nights they hold at the library in the community center in my local church, and I'm going to see what it means to be a foster parent. And if one in 10 of those people said, I'm going to go to the class, and I'm going to get a license, and I'm going to see what happens, I would feel like a lot of kids in Appalachia have a better shot at a better future. Because there was an old quote, and it was Hillary Rodham Clinton, and nothing is not political anymore, but it was years ago. She used to say, it takes a village to raise a child. 
at this point, I think the quote is, if the village doesn't raise the child, the village will be paying for the fact that that child is running loose among them because we're losing our kids out of Appalachia to the opioid crisis. And if we don't help collectively, we're going to pay. Dr. Welch, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. My name is Zoe Bossier, and you've been listening to Dr. Wendy Welch discuss her new book, Fall or Fly, The Strangely Hopeful Story of Foster Care and Adoption in Appalachia. All Ohio University Press and Swallow Press books are available in print and electronic editions and can be ordered from bookstores and online retailers. Please find us at ohioswallow.com. Thanks for listening.